tonight, we'll be reading from Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. Now Boaz has gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz has spoken, come by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. He turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city, he said, sit down here. So they sat down. So they took the Redeemer's Naomi, who has came back from the counter, from the country of Moab, is selling to the parcel of land they belong to our relative Elimelech. So I, what I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me, and I may know. For there is no one beside you to redeem it. And I came after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the land of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to portray the name of the dead and his inheritance. Then he, the Redeemer, said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this is the custom in foreign times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of assessing in Israel. So the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. He drove off his sandal. The Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi. All is belonged to Elimelech, and that all that belonged to Shilion and Mahan. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahan, I have bought to be my wife. To perpetrate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers. And from the gate of his narrative place, and you are witness this day. Then all the people who were here at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathim and to be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house to be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar born to Judah because of this offspring that the Lord will give you by his young woman. Well, good morning again, 
And good morning to those tuning in either to our podcast or online. Uh, for those who do not know me, my name is uh, Patrick Cherry, and I'm the pastor here at Christ the Word Church. And we are nearing the tail end of a series that we've been doing for the past several weeks on the Old Testament book of Ruth. And so our journey so far uh, has been an interesting one as we've looked. How, how many people here have really kind of studied the book of, book of Ruth before? A few? Not so many? Not a book that we tend to look at a lot or quote a lot, but it's really been a powerful story, and I hope that you have seen that as well. Well, this Sunday, even though it's not the last Sunday, we really kind of reach the climax of this whole story. But to understand the beauty of the climax, I think we need to just real quickly retrace our steps of where we have been thus far as we've looked at Ruth the Outsider. So in chapter 1, our first week, we discussed being the outsider. We, we met our initial characters of Naomi and her quickly deceased husband, Elimelech. And again, remember, let's all say that together because it's so fun to say. Elimelech. Elimelech. Say that five times fast. You know, talk about a tongue twister. Imagine naming your kid that. You know, Come here, Elimelech. So, we, as quickly as we meet Elimelech, he is deceased and gone, and we learn that his, his choice to leave his homeland of Bethlehem to go to the land, this foreign land of Moab, during a time of famine, really leaves uh, his widow in a tough place, because then her sons, who marry foreign wives, they pass away and they are left with nothing. And so she decides, after some years, to go back to her homeland, really destitute. She has nothing at this point. And her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who is a Moabite, not an Israelite, decides to stay with her. And we discussed how quickly we can go from being an insider to being an outsider, and how one choice stands between us and being an outsider. And sometimes that choice we make is a stupid decision. Sometimes it feels like the only decision we have. But we learn that our choices have consequences, whether we like it or not. Even seemingly small choices. And our choices affect other people as well as us. The choice of Elimelech affected Naomi and Ruth. Then in chapter 2, we talked about noticing the outsider because as they get back to Bethlehem, Ruth decides she's really going to take care of her mother-in-law and she's going to go out and she's going to get food for him. She's going to do whatever. And she just happens upon the field of the relative of Elimelech and he shows favor toward her. And he helps her, and he, he notices who she is, but then invites her to the table. We learn the power of noticing the outsider and giving them a place. And then in chapter 3, last week, Rachel took us uh, into chapter 3 of learning kind of about hearing the outsider. Uh, are, we, are we listening? Because in this chapter, Naomi urges Ruth to go to Boaz and appeal to him about being a kinsman redeemer, this idea of redeeming their family, uh, redeeming them out of their brokenness, which touches on this idea of leveret marriage, which if you're not familiar with it, because it's not something that's really practiced much uh, nowadays, um, here is the explanation of that to help us understand. So first we have to understand that this was a tribal culture. 
good bit different from our individualistic culture of today. So it's a tribal culture and name recognition and continuing that on in perpetuity was extremely important. Who was going to carry on your name? That's why male heirs were so important to have. They helped carry on the, male, uh, the, the name. So in this tribal culture, this practice, the continuing of the family and generations of heirs was extremely important. So what happens when you lose your husband and you have no heirs? This is the case for Naomi. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. She has no heirs. And so in this practice, then the next closest relative, usually the brother of the deceased, would take upon uh, the widow as his wife to then continue on the name. And actually, the first child from that relationship would would be considered to be the heir of the deceased brother. Does that make sense? So it was an idea of kind of carrying on the family name, passing on the inheritance, but also it was a care for the widow. Because in this day and age, women didn't have a whole lot of power in the society. And so a lot was through the husband. Right or wrong, that was the practice of the day. And this was a way to see to the care. So this was the practice. I love my sister-in-law, but I don't think I'm going to be marrying her. Uh, if something were to happen to my brother, I'm already married. So, But that was the practice of the time. So this week, we reach the climax of our story in chapter 4, and we discover that Boaz is willing to fight for Ruth, the outsider. But before we dig any deeper into that, I need some prayer. I need the Holy Spirit upon me before I venture off on rabbit trails too far. So let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are, that you are an amazing God. You are worthy of our worship, and we thank you that you are a God who is still active in our lives today, that you are still speaking to us today. And we thank you for your holy scriptures, these ancient words that still speak promise today. And so as we dig a little bit deeper into this old story of Ruth, we pray that we would hear your voice speaking to us, that we would witness your promise. We pray that you'd silence any voice in us but your own, that you prepare our hearts, our minds, and our ears to hear your word. And Lord, I pray that as my words stray from yours, may they fall away and quickly be forgotten, but may your word, your truth, and your promise remain upon our hearts forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the saints said, amen. So as we discuss chapter 4, I would like to propose that we look at it from three different segments. So the segments are this. We're going to talk about the initiative that is taken. Then we're going to talk about the price, and then we're going to consider the claim. If you like Boaz in past chapters... You're going to really respect him as you read this chapter because we see coming to light just how graceful and honorable of a man Boaz is because he's willing to take the initiative. So let's consider that. Let's look at the initiative. We would do well to remember the particular predicament that Naomi and Ruth find themselves in. They may have had much initially. We believe that Naomi actually probably came from a well-to-do family. 
And when they left during the famine, they lost everything when she lost her husband. So she, she comes back not as this prominent figure. She comes back as a beggar. She comes back as someone who is destitute, someone who is reliant on the grace and mercy of others. And we see that in earlier chapters. They are, as we might say, up the creek without a paddle. Especially Ruth, who is this foreign woman. She's not one of them. She married into the family, but that connection's gone. She's not one of them. She is a foreign Moabite who is, who is not looked upon favorably by, favorably by the Israelites. So to understand the power of the story, we need to grasp the helplessness of their situation to then understand the great generosity that Boaz has to offer. It's also important to note that Ruth and Naomi are not slackers, are they? Do they appear to be slackers throughout the story? Is Ruth a slacker? She is out working harder than most of us have probably ever worked. She's doing heavy lifting. She's reaping from the fields. They are not slackers. In fact, Ruth herself shows great initiative. But the challenge is that initiative alone isn't enough, is it? She can't fix her own situation. This is where the true generosity of Boaz comes into place as he goes to the city gate. The city gate was kind of this important place in the community where contracts were made. It was kind of like the municipal building of the day was the city gate. That's where contracts were made. That's where the elders would hang out and dispense justice. Important business transactions that needed witnesses would take place at the city gate. It was an important place, and Boaz proceeds to the city gate to find the nearest relative who would have the right to be the kinsman redeemer of Naomi and therefore Ruth. And that's where we pick up in chapter or in verse 3. So let's take a look at what happens. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So Elimelech finds this close relative who would be the first in line, Boaz would be the second to redeem. And he, we, he shares about the land. This is the first time we've heard about this land. But here's this land and this is enticing to the kinsman redeemer. And so this leads us to our first truth today. And our first truth is this. The insider redeems the outsider. The insider is the one who redeems the outsider. The weight of redemption is on the shoulders of the insider, not the outsider. Again, could Naomi and Ruth do anything on their own to change their situation? No. They were doing a great deal, but on their own, they could not do it. We've discussed in past 
weeks about the, the powerlessness that often comes with being the outsider. And we love to, to make comments, and we hear comments made of, you know, well, uh, if people would just work hard enough, they, they could work their way out of their situation. Really? Have you seen what minimum wage is? It's tough to make a living off of minimum wage, and you can pay the bills, but do you build any sort of savings? Can you there go and buy a house, build property? No, it's incredibly tough. The, the, the difference between those with and those who have very little and without is a big chasm. And so we love to say people are just lazy, but that's not always the case, is it? Or we hear statements about God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that one? Where is that in the Bible? As I always say, if you can't find it somewhere, it's probably in second opinions. Or first hesitations. That's a good one too. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that God helps those who help themselves. Sure, initiative is important. Initiative is a godly quality, but our initiative alone will not save us because it is, is it our initiative that saves us in Christ? I don't think so. So as we consider this truth, the redeemer, the inner, the insider redeems the outsider, I wonder as a church, are we willing to look to the outside Are we willing to model our lives and our ministry here after Boaz and be one of those churches that extends their arm beyond the boundaries that we like to build and extend a hand of hospitality to the outsider? Are we willing? It's much easier when we get to invite and welcome people that are a lot like us, isn't it? But what if someone isn't? What if someone isn't prominent? What if they have very little in respect to offer the church? Are we still willing to extend that hand? If we aren't, I would say we might as well seek a new vision as a church. Because we'll never see our community changed by the hope and healing of Jesus through us if we act in that way. And so we've considered the initiative and the great initiative of Boaz, and that takes us to the next step as we consider the price. The price. We now move from Boaz's initiative to reach to the further discussion of the price of redeeming. At the end of verse 4, we saw that the kinsman redeemer is quick to say, yeah, I'll redeem it. You're offering land? Sure, I'll take it. Kind of like when you hear about this distant great aunt that you never even knew that suddenly left their fortune to you. You're like, yeah, yeah, I'll take it. I don't know who that person is, but sure, I'll take it. So I now own a castle in Scotland. Awesome. But there's a price in this case. And we learn it as we extend, as we go to verse 5. So let's look at verse 5. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi... You also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritances. Then the Redeemer said, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. 
Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Here we see the plot twist, don't we? You almost wonder at the beginning of like, what is Boaz doing? He seems to be such an honorable man. Why is he just setting it all up for this other guy to swoop in and take it all? And then when he says, yeah, I'll take it, we're all thinking, goodness, what, where did this guy come from? But here's the twist. Boaz points out that it's not just the land that you get. You shoulder, you're shouldered with the responsibility and the obligation to care for Naomi, Mary Ruth, and extend the family name. Probably the kinsman redeemer has dismissed the cost in his initial, initial agreement, recognizing Naomi's age made it impossible for her to raise up an heir for Elimelech. If it had just been her, she wasn't going to be able to bear another child. So you're, sure, take, take her on, then he would get the land and he would get to keep it. The property, would, the property would then revert to him alone. That explains probably why his eagerness was to buy it. But before we put too much judgment on him, let's consider the situation. Boaz now introduces the fact that Elimelech's property, having technically been passed to his sons, Chilion and Malon, that we learned at the very beginning in chapter 1 that married the two Moabite women, the property had actually reverted to them upon the death of Elimelech and therefore passed on to their widows. And Ruth is the only widow that is present with Naomi and Bethlehem. And so it is not just a straight case of buying land, but it's contracting this leveret marriage that we discussed earlier with Ruth to raise a grandson to be Elimelech's rightful heir. This responsibility and this privilege cannot be divorced from one another. The kinsman's previous enthusiasm is stopped in his tracks when he learns the heavy financial obligations that would come with not just buying the property, but caring for a new wife and bearing children. There's a huge financial obligation to that. So this points us to our second truth, and our second truth is this. The insider pays the price on behalf of the outsider. The insider is the one that pays the price, not the outsider. There is a a price to redeeming the outsider. No wonder so many are unwilling to help those who are on the outside, because it always costs, doesn't it? Caring for someone that has nothing to give in return costs you something. Simple acts to go out and reach out and help somebody costs you something. Maybe it's something as simple as your time. But maybe there is a financial weight to it. Maybe it's requiring you to use your talents your emotions, your care, but there is a cost to pay, and the one who pays it is not the outsider. It's the insider that pays the price for the outsider. The outsider doesn't have the capital to pay for it on their own, so the privilege and the obligation falls on those of us within.
Are we willing to pay the price? Are we, church? Are we willing to pay the price on behalf of those who are hopeless and hurting out in our community? Are we willing to pay the price so that they can come to know the hope and healing that they can find in Jesus? Are we willing to use our own time, our own resources, our own finances to help those individuals? Are we willing to act as Boaz? This leads us to our third segment. We've discussed the initiative, the price, the cost, and now we discuss the claim. The hero emerges as we witness Boaz triumphantly jump up and without hesitation claim the right as kinsman redeemer. The guy we've been pulling for all along is willing to pay the price and claim Naomi and then Ruth to help take them out of this brokenness to redeem the entire family. We see him willing to shoulder the responsibility. So let's take a verse, look at verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, all those witnessing, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon. I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Let's note something. Boaz isn't just purchasing or hiring a new maid or slave or servant here. He has taken this Moabite woman who is really low on the totem pole and suddenly in one sacrificial act is lifting her up to be an equal in the family. He has taken this outsider and given her, not just letting her in, but giving her complete insider status. This leads us to our third truth. The insider welcomes the outsider into the family. It's the insider's job to welcome the outsider. Now, if someone were to come and knock on your door, is it appropriate for them to just welcome themselves into your your house? To just knock on the door and say, okay, yeah, I'm going to welcome myself in and walk in. How many people would be a little freaked out if someone you didn't know just walks up and lets himself into your house? It's called trespassing. (laughs) That's what it's called. It's the job of the insider to say, hey, why don't you come in? Can I get you something? Showing hospitality is the job of the insider. True redemption happens when the outsider is not just let in, but becomes an equal. There's a sense of church. Do we require much of people before we allow them to belong? There are many places that there are these lists of unsaid requirements. If you're really going to belong and be one of us, then you need to do these things. You need to dress in this way. You need to act in this manner. You need to present yourself 
in this way. You need to talk this way. You need to be able to sing these songs or quote these prayers. You need to be in a place where you don't make me feel uncomfortable. Maybe even start to look like me. There's these unsaid rules that we like to put into place. And someone doesn't have a sense of belonging until they've met these unsaid rules. But is that what God calls us to be as a church? To have all these unsaid rules to say that you can't just walk in and be welcomed in and you belong. Ruth, this Moabite woman, was forever changed and given this prominent place because of Boaz's willingness to reach out, to pay the price, to show the initiative, and to claim her and allow her a place to belong before she had ever conformed to be one of the family. Are we willing to welcome the outsider, not just in to worship, but to be a part of the family? Are we willing for a guest to walk in right now, right off the street, and allow them to belong right off the bat? No strings attached. You can become and be one of us. God loves you. We will love you. Are we willing? See, because this brings us to the movement of God. I think to better understand our place, We have to understand God's place in the story because as we've talked about in the past, who's the true hero of the story of Ruth? Is it Ruth? No. Is it Naomi? No. Is it Boaz? No. Who is it? Who wants to say it? God. That's right. God is the hero of the story. This story is illustrating the great love of of God. And in a lot of ways, Boaz looks like another figure in Scripture, doesn't he? In some ways. Who does he remind you of? Anybody? Jesus. Absolutely. This story is a reminder of the immense love of God and the love that God has for those who are on the outside. The God who would leave the 99 to go after the one. That's a God who cares for the outsider. And it's clear that this story is to help us gain a deep appreciation for the redemption we receive in Christ Jesus. We're not called to initiate, pay the price, and to claim the outsider because it's just the right thing to do, but because it was already done for us. We have a place at the table because Christ extended his hand to us. That's the beauty of the gospel. We can't be good on our own, but God who has shown great kindness for us can allow us to do great acts of kindness. We are to look with the outsider with the eyes of Christ because we were once those being gazed upon outside of the circle. And so I would like to revisit our truths and paint them in a bigger picture. We already discussed that the insider is the one who redeems the outsider, but the truth is our God redeems 
the outsider. We were once lost and in need of redemption. We couldn't do it ourselves. Any attempt to redeem ourselves to be a good person wasn't enough. It only led to further destruction. And history shows this to be true. Read the book of Judges if you want to know where our selfishness and half-hearted discipleship leads. It doesn't lead to a good place. God redeems the outsider and is willing to act and show the initiative. God acts before we could ever respond. But not only this, the insider pays the price on behalf of the outsider. Jesus Christ pays the price on behalf of the outsider. There is a great, great price to our sin and our redemption. Our debt is crushing. There's no way we could ever pay God back or pay someone back. We can't pay back for all the bad we have done or will do. It is crushing. And just one simple act of defiance against God is worthy of death. So before wherever even an age of accountability as a child, we've already sinned a lot. If you're a parent, you know that we learn to sin at an early age, don't we? But yet, God pays the price. Jesus is the one who steps down from heaven to become one of us, to shoulder the responsibility for sin, to atone for our sins, to conquer death for us. Can you conquer death? Don't think so. Christ can. And because of Christ, death does not have the final word. We have hope beyond death because of Jesus and because of the price he paid. We can only love others because God first loved us. And God loves you that much. Are we willing to show that love? And then finally, we discuss the insider as the one to welcome the outsider into the family. I say our God welcomes the outsider into the family. This sacrificial love of God not only pardons us and saves us from paying the price and the penalty of our sin, but we are welcomed into the family. We are adopted by God to become heirs of His kingdom. We are royalty. Do you get that? We are all royalty because Christ has welcomed us into the family. One day we get to stand before our great creator because of what God has done. The way we respond to these truths shows how deeply we understand them. If we were to truly understand the love that is extended to us in Christ Jesus, then we would be so willing to go and extend it to others because we'd realize we didn't deserve it. No one deserves it. God just offers it. Are we willing to be transformed by this truth? Our God fights, fought and fights for the outsider. We were the outsider, but have now been welcomed into the family of God as heirs to his kingdom. Will we extend the same grace that was extended to us? If not, I don't think we truly understand this miraculous gift we've been given. Let us go to God in prayer. Almighty God, you have shown great love and concern for us 
And we pray that as we consider your great love for us, that we would be changed and transformed and willing to step out on faith to extend your hospitality, your grace, your love to the community around us. Help us to be mindful of the outsider and be willing to pay the price to extend that hand. We pray for radical love. We pray all of this in the name of radical love, your son Jesus and all the saints said, amen.